This morning we're looking at uh, Matthew 5, verses 27 to 30. Jesus is uh, continuing in his teaching that we, that we know as the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, we've been making our way through here, verse by verse. And uh, this morning we are into this uh, conversation about adultery and human sexuality and our, you know, the overflow of the heart and all these sorts of things. So hear God's word. Jesus said, You have heard that it was said, Do not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So when I was a senior in college, uh, I was in charge of this Sunday night worship service that we had on the the campus. And there was a lot of really special uh, moments and memories that I have of that time. Uh, But there was one in particular that really stands out. We would always have local pastors from from the community around there come and speak and one night, we had a, uh, a pastor, a CRC pastor from a local church, and he came and he, he, I don't think he preached on these verses, but he preached about, you know, what, what the Bible has to say about relationships and sexuality and, uh, and all those sorts of things. And what I remember about that night was it was so Holy. And it was, it was incredible. He, he, he preached. He explained the scriptures. I remember some of the metaphors that he used and the pictures that, uh, that he created in our minds. Uh, but what I most remember is that afterwards, when he invited people to receive prayer for this area of their life, hundreds, hundreds of college students streamed forward and waited waited for the honor of being prayed for by some of his uh, elders and people from his church. We prayed for an hour afterwards, and we just worshiped, and people wept at the harm that had been done to them, at the sin that they had committed, at the the new start that they desired. And uh, it was a beautiful, beautiful thing. Um, there, people were anointed with oil as a reminder of healing that God can bring. Um, I remember when I went up front, this, the, the elder, this, this, uh, this older guy, he just gave me a huge hug. Do you remember what those were like? <laughs> you know, hugging in church and just the embrace and just knowing whatever has happened in the past, God forgives it. And, you know, as I look back on that, 20 years later, I think maybe some of us went up because we felt ashamed about things that we didn't need to feel ashamed of. (laughs) 
you know, that maybe we grew up in homes or in churches where you never talked about this, you never discussed it, and, uh, you know, maybe people just felt this overwhelming shame that was not of God. But I think for the most part, people came forward because they were convicted, because they felt like, I, I want to live into God's grace in this area of my life, and that they needed to, that they needed to turn away, that they needed to, to stop to start afresh. And it was a beautiful thing, and um, it was powerful, it was holy to, to see that. Because, I mean, make no mistake, Jesus, what Jesus is teaching here, it's, it's a couple things for sure. It's countercultural. It's countercultural, it's different. It's different than the way that most people live today. Uh, but it's also life-giving. It's the way that God wants us to live. It's the pathway to joy and, and to, to life and to peace and to true, true love. Um, Jesus' views on sexuality, they are covenantal. You know, there, there's basically two ways. I'll unpack this a little later, but there's two ways of looking at relationships today. They're a consumer good. <laughs> you know, you're kind of always looking for something better. That's why he says, why are, you, why are you looking at these women? Why are you lusting after them? You're always looking for something, and, and the grass might be always greener and that sort of thing. Consumerism. That's how a lot of people look at relationships today. But what Jesus is advocating is a covenant, is living your life under the promise of God. So we'll, uh, we'll unpack that a little more, but whenever you talk about um, sexuality and what the Bible says, you know, there, there has to be a couple of caveats. And um, I remember I was talking with Jane Cucci, uh, you know, a year and a half ago or something. We were at the hospital um, waiting for Tony. And, you know, she kind of had uh, some, some time with her pastor one-on-one. -on -one. And so she was, she was giving me some advice. And she said, you know, Pastor, you really should preach about, about what the Bible says about sex. You really should do that a lot more often. I was like, wow, this is just out of nowhere, Jane. I mean, what, you know, and we talked about it a little more. And it was, I, I don't know why she said that. I, you know, she was a foster mom of, of so many, and maybe that has to do with it, just the consequences of, of some of our decisions in that area. But she had a way of doing that, that was graceful. You know, it, it, it held on to the truth and what the Bible teaches and the way God wants us to live, but she didn't, she wasn't making me feel bad, she didn't want to make anybody feel bad or, or guilty or, or ashamed of things that they've done. And I want to just model that this morning. I hope I can, I hope I can capture that because, you know, we're, we're, we're treading on holy ground. These are, um, these are just so sacred. And I hope that nobody, I, you know, my prayer is that people are convicted, convicted by the Holy Spirit, and that God is speaking to you about how you can live this out. Because, I mean, let's be honest, Jesus is saying, you know, that if, if we've even looked at a woman lustfully, I mean, the way that I think about it is like a dartboard. And at the center of the dartboard is God's 
will for our sexual lives. Is anybody, is any one of us in this room hitting that bullseye? No, we're not. We all need God's grace. None of us are perfect. But we have to hang on to the idea that there is a bullseye, that God has an intention for us, and that as brothers and sisters in Christ, as believers, we can encourage people to go closer to that bullseye, not, not further away. And, you know, in a few weeks, we're going to talk about what Jesus said about judging others, <laughs> taking the, the speck out of our own eye, taking the log out of our own eye before we help others with the speck. And so I hope no one feels um, judged uh, by anything that I say, but just preaching God's word plainly and what he has to say about it. So Jesus uh, draws this, uh, this distinction between consumeristic relationships and covenantal relationships. You know, verse 27 to 28, that's his commentary on the seventh commandment. You know, thou shalt not commit adultery. So Jesus is saying, just like he did last week with, the, you know, with, um, with murder, now he goes to the seventh commandment, and he is trying to get at the true spirit of the commandments, what's behind it. Jesus is always interested in our heart in what's beneath the surface, because out of the heart flows actions and the way that we live. And if we look at our hearts, we see that our hearts are a mixed bag, that they're desiring things that sometimes aren't healthy for us. So Jesus is trying to, to get at that and trying to get us to admit our need for God. Jesus says that anyone who looks at a woman a good translation would be in order, in order to lust after her. And this, he uses a word that's really similar to greed. So when you think about greed, greed is possessing things that you shouldn't have. Greed is like this unending hunger and thirst for something. Greed makes you want to own things that don't belong to you. Greed leads, leads you to steal things. And Jesus is saying, when someone looks at a woman lustfully, they're seeking to own them. They're seeking to possess them. They want them to belong to them. And how unhealthy is that? I mean, think about that. There's things that are controversial in this sermon, but I don't think anyone, in fact, there's been sort of a national reckoning around that. Around powerful, mostly men, some women, but mostly men, that try to take, that use their power to abuse. That's what Jesus is saying. And he's saying that there's a major difference between, uh, between a passing glance and even appreciating beauty or good style or something like that and lusting. You know, it's like the difference between driving through an intersection and slowing down and paying so little attention that you smash into the car ahead of you. Jesus is saying, if, if, if you're starting to get your imagination going and you're, you're looking at someone in order to lust after them, in order to imagine perhaps what a life with them would be like or what an encounter with them would be like, you're going to wreck your life. 
You're heading towards something that's not for you to have. And Jesus is saying, what's the difference between, you know, visualizing and imagining what that would be like and actually doing it? It's no different in the heart. Jesus is talking about this consumer mindset that you're always on the lookout. You know, you're kind of shopping, you're wondering, could, could that person be better? Could, you know, could I do better? How will that person affect me? How will they make me look good if they've got what I'm looking for? And it's approaching romantic relationships the same way that we would approach like a vendor at work. <laughs> you know, you have a relationship with them, but if someone gives you a better price, you're, you're going over there. I mean, we treat our vendors like that. Some people treat their churches like that. Oh, this, you know, I'm bored with this. I'm tired of this. I'm getting sick of this. I'll, I'll find something different. And some people treat their spouses like that. And Jesus is arguing against that. Um, you know, on rare occasions, people will actually come into my office and say things like that in a really direct way. I mean, Satan has them so confused and tied up. They'll say things like, my marriage is boring. I'm no longer in love. I deserve better. I know there's someone better for me out there. And this one's my favorite. Doesn't God want me to be happy? According to their definition of happy. According to their definition of what they want. When we think like that, when we talk like that, it shows how little we actually know Christ. The Christ that's not, not a genie in a bottle giving us everything we want when we want it, but the Christ that says, take up your cross daily and follow me. The Christ that says, these relationships are the pathway for you to grow and be transformed. That putting someone else above yourself day by day, serving them, modeling out how Jesus lived, washing feet, blessing people. Marriage gives us so many opportunities to do that. And that is one of the ways that God uses with some people to conform them to the image of Christ. That sometimes it's very direct like that, but more often it's subtle. It's subtle. It's just little disobedience, day by day, and it adds up. It's, uh, it's not fighting against the temptation. You know, this is what I want, this is what I need. Jesus is saying that the approach to relationships is to reject this idea of a consumer and to be a, a covenanter, you know, to be someone that makes a promise before God and before the church and, and leans into that, lives into that. It only works if both people make that covenant. Because if one person makes the covenant and the other is still a consumer, then this person gets walked all over all the time. 
And we've seen that happen. That one person after a while just, just thinks, oh, I can do better, the grass is greener. And instead of watering their own grass, they go and look for a happiness that you can't find in a human being, for a happiness that you can only find in God. What God desires for us and what Jesus is talking about here is that we, we make a commitment, we covenant to each other. I keep, I keep using this word. What, what does it mean? It's not the most common word. A covenant is a promise. But it's, it's sort of like a promise on steroids. It's a promise that we will put the other person first, that we'll put the relationship above our own needs. Covenants are made throughout the Bible. God connecting with us. And what's, what's a covenant that we make? We make a covenant to our kids. You know, we make that promise. And, you know, I'm finding out right now that you don't get a lot back. That you give and you give and you give. And, you know, my parents tell me 18 years and more and more and more. And there's no way, there's no way that I could ever make up to my parents what they've given to me with everything. We make that covenant to our kids to love them, to be committed to them, to help them thrive. And that's, that's a promise. That's what we make. Even when life changes, even when things are thrown at us. Professor Lewis Smedes has a line, I've been married to seven different women. All of them were named Susan. And what he means is that the woman that he married at 25 is not the same one at 35 or 45. And we're always changing. Some people think, oh, my spouse changed. No, they didn't. You're both changing all the time. We change when we have kids. We change when we lose a parent. We change when our business goes up in smoke. And a covenant is a promise. It's saying, the way that Jesus loves me and is committed to me, I'm going to do everything in my power with God's help to be that committed to you. And a lot of people today think, well, I could never get married because, you know, I don't want to make that kind of a commitment. I don't want to be penned down like that. The crazy thing is that once you have that commitment, you can be yourself. You can be, you can be absolutely yourself because you're not auditioning to be someone's boyfriend or girlfriend. You're not on this, you know, years-long audition, am I good enough, and all those insecurities. You get inside of the covenant of the promise, and it's safe. And you can be totally yourself, your, your goofy, quirky self. And it's a beautiful thing. Lily and I laugh together more than we ever have because we're just ourselves. We've been together for 17 years, and we can be ourselves. I'm starting to get to know her. And we, we change together, and we adapt and we do our best to put the other person first. And you know what we've realized is that even when the, even when the feelings kind of come and go, you stay committed and then you get to a deeper level of feelings. And you fall in, in a deeper love all over again. 
And that's consumer. That's, that's covenant. Consumer. You're looking, you're looking, you're lusting after this person and that person. And covenant. You're falling deeper in love with the person as the years go by. There was, you know, there was a few older couples who have been married 60 plus years at the first service. They didn't like this joke very much. But it is true that the longer you're together, the more you look alike. It's kind of, you know, like people with their dogs. They, you start to look alike. But I think that's because, you know, the Bible says that we make that covenant and we become one flesh. We come together under, under God. And you're, uh, consider yourself fortunate because next week is about divorce. So we're going to be talking more about, about marriage. But what does all this have to do with human sexuality? I mean, it has everything to do with it because what Jesus is saying in these verses is, is what Jesus says all over the Gospels and what the Bible says from Genesis to Revelation. It's that sex is not a consumer good. It's a covenantal good, that it belongs over here in the covenant. Because when, when you have sex outside of that, you're always, you're using it. You want it to, to make you feel better about yourself, to make you feel sexy, to, uh, to get what, what you need. Maybe it makes you feel good about yourself or feel wanted. But inside of marriage, inside of the covenant, it, it becomes a beautiful thing, something that's entirely different. It becomes, you know, even a sacrament, something that, that reveals something that's invisible and makes it real. Because when you have sex inside of the covenant, you're saying, I belong to this person, that I am completely honest, vulnerable, open, I'm one flesh with them. I can be emotionally naked with them and I can be physically naked with them. And we've made that covenant till death do us part. And sex outside of marriage is inviting someone to, to, to be physically naked with you when, when they haven't been in the rest of, of their lives. It doesn't make sense. It's not logical. The Bible isn't, isn't sheepish about sex. Sometimes the church is. Sometimes maybe pastors are. But when, when God creates Eve and brings her to Adam, and Adam is there, naked as the day he was born, and Eve is the same, and God shows Eve to Adam, what does he do? He writes a song about her. He writes a poem. He starts singing on the spot because he's delighting in her. He's delighting in, in her flesh. He's delighting in her beauty. And God's, God's story begins there. Genesis 2. And they were naked and they were not ashamed. And so when we are naked and unashamed and under the covenant of God, it's a taste of heaven. It's how, it's how God designed things to be. The, the issue today is that, you know, once a year or, you know, more if, if, if Jane 
you know, gets her way. Once a year, you hear a sermon from me about sexuality. And then you spend hundreds or thousands of hours watching movies and shows where people hook up on the first date or second date or third date, and it's sort of normalized. The consumer is what you're getting again and again. Yeah, that's normal. That's how it should be. It's, it's not a reality. Jesus continues on and he, he, he calls us to go to some pretty far lengths to cut unhealthy sexuality, to cut, you know, wanting to possess people, um, that, you know, wanting to own people, desiring things that are not for us to have. He, sa- he says to go to pretty far lengths to, uh, to cut that out of your life. But before we understand what he does mean, we have to know what he doesn't mean. He doesn't mean literally poking out your eye. He doesn't mean literally cutting off your hand. The way that uh, one study Bible puts it is that Jesus often used hyperbole. He made exaggerations in his teaching to make a point with color and force. The point here is that those whose hearts have been transformed by the gospel should be willing to make significant sacrifices in order to avoid being snared by sexual sin. I remember reading in a, in a magazine back in high school at a very impressionable age about a, a, a young man who, you know, in misinterpreting these verses, started to cut himself and damage himself give pain to himself because he felt so ashamed about the feelings that he had. That's not what Jesus is talking about. He's saying that you should be radical in avoiding these things because the consequences are are so dire. Think about the power of sex. I mean, sex brings life if God wills it. And while there's no hierarchy of sin, there's no sin that's, that's worse than another, the, the consequences of sex outside of the covenant are so dire. When we think, you know, this person should be my possession, when we, when we ogle people, when we fantasize about them, you're doing damage to yourself. And that's not how Jesus wants us to live. He's calling us to be, to be radical in, in these ways, he's calling us to be radically honest with our friends, you know, to, to, to be open about how this is going to, to admit that none of us are hitting the bullseye, but that we want to encourage one another toward love and faithfulness, to be radically graceful when we stumble, you know, to say, God, God wipes the slate clean. We're going to mess up, but God is faithful. And it's God's kindness that leads to repentance, that makes us want to turn and go in a new direction and be honest. So how how do we do that? How do we we receive God's grace? We, We look to Jesus, who's full of grace and truth. Look at the way that Jesus dealt with people uh, that were caught in sexual sin. The woman at the well, the, the woman that was caught 
in adultery by these religious leaders. He didn't condemn her, but he also told her, go and leave your life of sin. Make a new start. We have to have a deeper love, a deeper desire than that for any human relationship, any human connection. The thing that we are, uh, the thing that that we should be looking for in a partner is that they love Jesus. (laughs) You know, that they they love Jesus even more than they love you. You know, if if I don't love Jesus more than Lily and and vice versa, then it, it, it doesn't work. I've talked with Lily about this, and she says that's no problem for her. It's a lot easier to love Jesus than me. But... You know, maybe for some, for some people, they, they fall into that. But who could compare? I mean, romantic relationships are amazing. Marriage is amazing. But who could compare to Christ, who lays down his life for us, who loves us endlessly, who loves us perfectly, who's, who doesn't change his mind about us? Human relationships end. We all have a day when we will meet our maker. And yet God's love is unending. It's always flowing. It's always there for us. C.S. Lewis warned us about being half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex when infinite joy is offered us. Jesus offers us that infinite joy in a relationship with him. So don't, don't be so easily pleased. Make Christ the Lord of your life. Make him the foundation. And, and let the chips fall where they may. What are the, what are the practical implications of, of all this? First, that, that we will stop staring at each other, that we will stop lusting after each other, that we'll stop you know, fantasizing and imagining That's not what God desires for his children, for your sister, for your brother in Christ. That we will think long and hard about the movies that we watch and the websites that we visit and even the books that we read. Understanding that the eye is the gateway to the heart. Understanding that if you take garbage in, garbage is going to go out. What's third practical implication? That, that people will move toward marriage. That people will, will aspire to that. That if you're in a consumer relationship right now, that you're looking for something better, that you're lusting after other people, that you will repent, that you will come to God and ask him, how do I make this a covenant relationship? That if you're together, you've been together long-term, you're cohabitating, whatever the case may be, that you move toward marriage. That you commit yourself under God and before your, your community to live under that promise. And that if you're, if you're looking for a spouse, that you will, you'll take radical measures to protect your heart, <laughs> to, to pray for someone 
that's going to enter into a covenant with you, that's going to live under God, that's going to be pursuing Christ while you pursue Christ, that's not going to look at you as, as just something to be taken in and sent away. And that if you're single, and this is not the season of marriage for you, that you find a community where you can be honest, where you, where you have friends where you can talk to about this stuff, because this is the third time I've said it, none of us are perfect in this area. I'm certainly not perfect. I have such a long way to go, and I need God's grace on a daily basis. We need a place where we can have these conversations, where we can extend grace to each other, where we can say, yes, that is sin, but grace abounds. And that we can push each other you know, toward, toward the dartboard, toward God's will for us. And if you think about that, if you think about that dartboard, Jesus is right there at the center. He's right there. And he's welcoming us home. He's calling his children home to live in his grace. Would you please pray with me? Lord Jesus, we thank you for, for saving us from the hell that is a life without you. There is no joy apart from you, Lord. You went up on the cross and you allowed yourself to be, to be cut off so that we wouldn't have to be. And Jesus, you love us with a fierce love, with an undying love. And our whole selves belong to you. Our bodies, our souls, our minds, they belong to you. No human being can fulfill us like you do. So help us to return to our first love, as the book of Revelation says. God, this is, this is tough. This is a tough teaching. This is a hard teaching. And it's so different than the way that the world works. But, Lord, we, we know that living for you, we find joy and peace and beauty that nothing in the world can take away. Grant us that vision today, Lord, because of Jesus. Amen.